0: Hello, everyone. I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Steve Vinsky. Steve is a longtime compliance professional who has a very interesting background in leadership. We're going to talk about the role of leadership as a compliance professional. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And I'm absolutely thrilled today to have Steve Vinzi. I've wanted to have Steve on a podcast for a long time. He has a really interesting career in compliance and frankly, he's doing some really interesting things now. So with that somewhat enigmatic introduction, Steve, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit
0: with me today. Thank you, Tom. It's a real privilege, surprised and honored to hear that you wanted to do this with me. It's a real honor and privilege and pleasure to be here with you and your podcast viewers.
1: So could you tell us a little bit about your professional background, Steve?
0: Sure. <laughs> I'm, the pro- I'm a product of, the re- of a revolution, specifically a Hungarian revolution. It's a very romantic story that I'm tempted to, when I retire, write a screenplay about a young Hungarian doctor engaged to a beautiful model risks his life to go to Vienna to bring back antibiotics, is put on an arrest list, is tipped off, and 48 hours later escapes across a, an armed border, and his fiance and his brother and, and his girlfriend leave thereafter. They are married in a double ceremony on December 8th of 1956, a day after my mom's birthday. They arrive here in the United States on Memorial Day in Newark, New Jersey of 1957, and now I'm going to really date myself, uh, and then four months later I arrive. And that's really sums up who I am. Um, Hungarian is an immigrant, first generation American, Hungarian is my first language, uh, and I learned uh, to understand that we had a home culture and then everything else on the outside, and it's really understanding that cultural sensitivity that really speaks to my career where I always uh, understood that people looked at things differently. And so fast forward now to being a founder, president, CEO of a boutique compliance consulting firm after going through service as a U.S. Marine officer serving in Washington on Capitol Hill as a professional staff member and counsel on national security Uh, and then being an in-house chief compliance and privacy officer and a national uh, co-leader on life sciences at Deloitte. Uh, I bring all that to bear, just looking at the world uh, through this lens. And, and it's, I find it amazing really to look at the world events today and really sense that everything I've experienced in my life has prepared me really to, I think, add value uh, to this topic where number one, first and foremost, learning from my dad as a physician, you need to have genuine sincere empathy for people, for patients. Healthcare as a Harvard professor once said on a 2020 interview is a different kind of business. It's not just dollars and cents, it's lives that we're treating, improving lives, saving lives. And it's with that understanding that compliance, which again when you think about the word really makes most people shudder whether openly or secretly behind closed doors, it's not a topic that most people say, whoopee, right? Um, And so uh, with a 30-year career almost in compliance, um, I'm excited because just the other day, a a new development occurred. And again, the world is constantly changing, seemingly at an accelerated pace. So I'm very happy to share my insights um, on this topic.
1: I want to do something I've uh, never done in a podcast, and we're throwing the outline away. There was way too much in there that's going to be way too much more interesting than what I wrote down. So we're going to start with, number one, behind your right shoulder, do I see a purple heart?
0: No, actually, that's a Defense Meritorious Service Medal that I was awarded. But I did not have the honor and privilege of being in any active Combat, but no, that's an award I received after service in the Office of the Secretary of Defense. Number two, what's your birthday? It's September 25th, 1957.
1: I'm two months older than you, so we share the 57 (laughs) 57 Club. Yeah. I really have to ask you about your parents and their story, because I'm not sure many Americans remember that, but I hope that you and others can keep that flame alive because that revolution and the people who were able to get out told stories that resonated at that time. And as you said, they should resonate today. Yeah. But also how you tied that into your professional career because you saw a variety of cultures. You spoke English not as your first language at home. You, are, you had to be aware of cultural sensitivities and you had to look at things I don't want to say is an outsider because a Marine is never an outsider, but uh, you did look at perhaps through a different lens than I did growing up in a small town in Texas. And what I really appreciated was you tying that all together at the end by saying everything you've experienced as an immigrant, uh, as a Marine, uh, as a compliance professional, in working in Washington, have really... Led you to this point today where you're able to tie all of that together and deliver a compliance service of all things in a way that certainly many people not that they can't but they don't have your background so I'd really like to maybe pull on some of those threads and well, many people think of the marines as Paris Island or the west coast, and everyone knows what the reputation of the marine is, but what did that the Marines teach you that
0: you've been able to bring forward literally to this day? The number one leadership lesson that the Marines taught me that reinforced what my parents taught me is the most effective leader is a leader that leads by example. You let your actions do your talking, that you inspire and motivate those around you by being true to the values that you espouse and I have found that to be incredibly effective in compliance services in the nitty gritty of compliance where, again, one of my main messages to CEOs, general counsels, board members today, and I have a book coming out in the spring of 2024 around April and May called Winning with Compliance Driving Business Performance with Integrity. On another side of my office is a letter. I dedicated to my father, and I just looked at it this morning. It was exactly 30 years ago, and I dedicated my Defense Meritorious Service Medal to him on his birthday, which is September 21st, and it's because he inspired me with his example of honesty and integrity, and he became an incredibly successful, world-renowned physician in his specialty. People would come from all over the world. He a real pioneer in his field. But he taught me at a very young age that you need to be honest and truthful. And, of course, we're all human. We're we're never perfect. But in reflecting back, and he and I clashed quite a bit because he wanted me to be a doctor like him. He wanted his oldest son to follow in his footsteps. And he rather scolded me when I decided to do, of all things, to become a lawyer. Nothing, and I mean nothing, in his book was worse. (laughs) But the irony here is that both my grandfathers, who died when my father was eight in his case and when my mother was nine, in freak coincidences, guess what they were? They were lawyers. So I actually was carrying on the genetic (laughs) family history. But healthcare, through his example, really infused in me that observation that in this world, Uh, What really matters most is how you conduct yourself and how you lead by example, and so whether that's in the Marines or athletics or any other endeavor, that's the number one lesson. The the second corollary to that that the Marines really instilled in me is the best discipline is self-discipline, perseverance, gutting it out when the going gets tough is really digging down deep inside of you to bring out your best and competing against an inner standard of excellence that nobody really knows better than yourself. And again, it's that camaraderie, that spirit, that esprit de corps that the Marines are so well known for because you know the person next to you is there committed to, if necessary, saving your life just as you are committed to saving that person's life. So it's that, that ethos of integrity, that you inspire and motivate those around you through your example that has really kept me going, kept me engaged, kept me excited about uh, what I do uh, and what I bring to my clients.
1: I now live, once again, in a small town in West Texas, and I interviewed a business owner in town who served during the Iraqi war as a Marine. And I asked him what was the number one thing he learned. He was an enlisted man. And without missing a beat, he said, be on time. (laughs) <laughs> and you just spoke to that interpersonal discipline, and that's what I got from him. I, ta- my wife is English, and we were watching some movie, that the, some, and Marines were in it, and the officers ate after the enlisted men. And she said, why aren't the officers eating first? And I said, the Marines don't do it that way. Can you explain the importance, and I'm going to even use the word user experience very different. But why is it important that the officers eat after the enlisted men?
0: Number one is to show your dedication to your men and women. Um, uh, And when I was in the Marines, I was in the artillery, where at the time it was all male. But first and foremost, you want to show through, again, example that their uh, welfare is foremost in your mind as a leader. That you're there to ensure that they're taken care of. And that as a leader, you always put the people who work with you and for you first. And by doing that, uh, you again build that camaraderie, that esprit de corps, that dedication, that inspiration, that motivation, that that we're all here together as one unit, one team dedicated to achieve uh, a particular mission. And that the only way we're going to do that is by supporting one another and leading through inspiration and motivation. And so that, that's a, just a piece of that. But it, again, every action, whether it's who eats first, whether you ensure women and children are taken care of first, that when the going gets tough, and again, every millisecond can determine whether someone lives or dies, you don't have time to convince someone in the heat of combat. And again, I've never served in, in that capacity. I came close once in the 80s. But that's, all of that builds up to that point. Again, it's building a sense of real trust in one another, that the lieutenant, the captain, the colonel, they're dedicated. They're, we're all Marines. And one of the things that I was honored to be promoted to major as a reservist when I was serving in Washington on Capitol Hill, and then Lieutenant Colonel John Sattler, who later became Lieutenant General John Sattler and who led the Battle of Fallujah, and was a real mentor of mine, and he's, uh, at least he, I believe he still is, the Admiral Stockdale Leadership Professor at Annapolis. A great man, someone that I've never met anyone quite as genuinely Boundlessly energetic who truly did inspire and motivate me to be a marine Dedicated to the principles of defending our Constitution our democracy and in my speech I said the wonderful thing about the Marines is that it doesn't matter Whether you're white black yellow Brown Whether you're a Christian whether you're Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or whatever other religion because in the Marine Corps we're all the same color. We're all green. We're all Marines. And it's that, again, demonstration through leadership by example, a dedication to a, a, a level of excellence that permeates your being. You're a Marine 24-7. There's no day off on being a Marine when you're uh, a Marine on active duty. And it really, people have criticized the Marines as, as being brainwashed to a degree, and there have been some tragedies, of course, over the years, certainly in Texas at University of Texas Tower back in the 60s, the shooting on campus, that was a Marine. There have been other examples, certainly more recently. But at its best, Marines are focused, they're can-do, mission-oriented people who have a tremendous loyalty to a set of principles that leads to mission accomplishment. The Marines have a wonderful reputation of if you give them an assignment, you can bet it'll be done and done well. Um, I'm very proud of that heritage and, and hope that through my life and career, both during the Marines and after the Marines, that I've embodied that. It's been life changing for me. I can tell you my father was not thrilled. <laughs> he was thrilled that I was going to join the military because he said, I think you're perfect for that. You're an athlete. You're dedicated. You're patriotic. I think you'll excel. And then he said, but just don't let it be the Marines. I said, oh, geez, Dad, here we go again. And I said, why? And he said, are you crazy? Are you suicidal? The Marines are the first to go. And I said, yes, you're right. But that's because they're the best. And that's what I want to be associated with. Weeks, months passed by, and he was talking to his colleagues in the OR prep room, shaking his head about his son, and it turns out that they quietly said his name was Laszlo Otto Vinci, or Laz, as they called him. Uh, I used to refer to him as his initials, L O V, as Dr. Love. <laughs> but in any event, they say, Laz, I was a Marine. And once a Marine, I was a Marine. He said, Oh, really? And then it turned out others of his friends, and he later came back that he really respected. And he said, you know what, I, I think you made the right choice. It all turned out well. But, yeah, the Marine Corps is a, is a different breed. It's not for everyone. I've had many parents come to me to say, here, talk to my son, talk to my daughter. It's usually sons who they're looking to join the military and looking to join the Marines. We well, tell them about what they should expect. And my first question always is, why do you want to do this? And uh Sometimes it's, it's they're, they're not too sure. And I said, you need to really be sure and you need to really want to do it. And it should be, as in my case, it wasn't about any kind of program necessarily, but it's about wanting to serve your country. And that should be the core reason anyone joins any military branch. Now, sure, there are benefits that that go along with that, that it's certainly nothing wrong with looking into how those benefits may play out over time. Um, but again, nothing is more inspiring, uh, I think, to genuinely want to serve your country. And what I tell people, whether it's the Marine Corps or the Peace Corps, giving back to your country. And again, as the uh, eldest son of immigrants, and I saw, I was often scolded by my mom, Shh, quiet your father's study. He was relearning a language, relearning his profession. He, was, he busted his butt, as many immigrants over many generations have done, to be successful. And I saw that. And then he became very successful. And, and I had a real turning point in my life in 1969. Again, I'm dating myself, the Apollo moon landing, where I was in Budapest, Hungary, visiting with my step-grandfather and my grandmother at Gandhi with my maternal grandmother. And I saw the difference with my own eyes. I experienced the fear that I felt with adults, and again, my step-grandfather was a physician, I could see the palpable fear, the palpable relative poverty compared to here, and and before I left, he said, here, I I want to show you something, and he said, but you mustn't speak of this to anybody until you're at home in your house with your parents, and it's like, geez, what's going on here, so he go into his study, he moves this bureau he unscrews this metal plate from the wall. He takes this wire, hooks it up to his Grundig shortwave radio. And that's how I listened to the Apollo moon landing through radio-free Europe. And he was frightened to death. That that, that changed my life, really. Because when I went home, I told my parents about it. And I said, you know what? I'm very proud to be Hungarian, but I'm an American now. <laughs> and I'm going to get a little emotional that was really when I became dedicated to the freedoms that this country espouses and have remained so dedicated. Again, it's, it's agnostic politically. It's really about witnessing and feeling. And that's something I really talk about in my profession, is when you, there are technical elements of compliance, and there are certain seven elements, as the OIG guidance talks about, and as reiterated here in a recent guidance, uh, that we all need to be aware of, and it's the, the science of compliance. But then there's the, the human element of compliance, where you have to make sure people genuinely feel. Michael Jackson used to say, you have to feel the music. You have to feel the rhythm. And anyone who's played music or actually been an athlete, in whether you're skiing or rowing, two things that I have done and used to do, it's very rhythmic, and you tap into that. And so there's a real emotional uh, component to all of this that, as human beings, we need to, A, understand, appreciate, and then use to our benefit. I'll stop. I can go on, as you can tell, Tom. But I, I think it's so important as compliance leaders, as, as corporate leaders, to understand that dynamic, and all effective leaders, and my Preeminent example is Lieutenant General Sattler who talked about inspiring and motivating people and how it starts in here and that tapping into that inner standard, tapping into being dedicated to something larger than yourself. It's not all about you. Uh, It's about something bigger. And he talked about how he in his role at Annapolis would talk to the various captains of the various teams, who often would believe that the best leadership is them performing on the field or whatever the sport was. But when they got hurt, they were at a loss. And he said, you can still be the leader, even though you're not on the field, by exhorting your teammates to excellence, by supporting them, by if they fall down, if they get down, to encourage them to get up. And again, we see this all around us. Tom Brady, perhaps, is one of the Prime examples of let's go, and that again a genuine, sincere exuberance to to that level of excellence. Again, something that I'm very passionate about, and that I write about in my book, as to how to apply it in a consistent way under very difficult circumstances, because that's when it really counts. Uh, when big stakes are on the line, how do you bring that to bear in a way that's calm, thoughtful? measured but effective.
1: Steve unfortunately we are near the end of our time for this episode but before we leave I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself on Trestle and the services uh, you and it provide what might be the best place or places for them to go?
0: Thank you Tom. Um, First our our website at www.trestlecompliance.com it's a great source that you can learn about myself my team and the services we provide. And you can send out an email at support at trestlecompliance.com, and uh, we'll certainly respond quickly. Uh, Another place is uh, my LinkedIn profile, which also has a lot of articles um, that I've published here over the past several years. And that's certainly a place to go to. And then finally, again, just to keep you abreast here, my book, Winning with Compliance, Driving Business Performance with Integrity published by Advantage Forbes publishers is targeted to be published and come out on in April and May well stay tuned we'll de- definitely have some events around that and it's really a, a collection of practical and pragmatic and hopefully interesting stories of things that I learned some of which the hard way <laughs> and hopefully some lessons that that whether you're a CEO a board member a c-suite Or on the flip side, someone who aspires to that level as a business student, business school student, law school student, or even an undergraduate that you'll find helpful. I really believe in passing it forward to the next generation of leaders. And and hopefully, again, uh, there's some real nuggets of wisdom there that people will find helpful and useful in their careers.
1: I'm definitely going to invite you back. To talk about the book before it comes out, the I hope our listeners will join our entire podcast series, Life Sci- Sciences, Compliance Champions, Unveiling the Journey. This is the first of several we have upcoming. I look forward to continuing this conversation.
0: Thank you very much, Tom. It's been a real pleasure here meeting you and, t- and speaking with you and, of course, uh, connecting with your audience. So it's a real pleasure for doing so.
1: This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. We link to Steve's contact information that he articulated in the show notes. I hope you will check him out. And if you certainly need an outsourced CCO resource in the healthcare profession, I think Steve would be an excellent candidate for you to take a look at. 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.